The Film Guide with Sam and Chris, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Hello there and welcome to the St Albans Film Guide this Friday the 12th of November and here we are with me, producer Sam, and it says here on my notes, Danny, the gorgeous Danny Smith. Yes, hello. Um, by the way, it may not be the 12th of November, that, that's the day we're putting this out. It's not even the 12th of November today anyway, but um, but you know, whenever the listener may be listening to it, it could be any time. That's true, but yeah. We're covering films from the 12th of November, aren't we? We are indeed, yes. Yeah. The week, you know, following from Friday the 12th of November onwards mm. up until next Thursday, indeed, indeed. Okay. Yeah. So, you're here because uh, Chris and I messed up. And also, Chris is uh, very busy with his work this week. So you have stepped in. You've, you know, taken the the mantle. And thank you very much. Uh, that, that's quite right. How come every time you mention Chris's work, you do that sort of speech marks thing with your hands? Though that that that's weird. <laughs> okay, this is a slander or one of those. Whatever the other one is, libel. <laughs> I will uh, be making a note of that. Glad this is being recorded. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's start with the new to cinema. What's being released this week, Danny? Okay, your new releases in the cinema. Um, so, uh, as, as listeners may well know, loads of films come out each week. There are several films that came out uh, this week. Uh, most aren't, aren't shown on many um, screens. The the system that we use that gives us uh, the information about releases tells us how many screens it's likely to be on. Mm. And so, so we tend to focus on the ones that are going to be on a more widespread release. Mm-hmm. And there are two that I picked out this week. Uh, and the first one uh, is called Cry Macho, uh, which comes out on Friday the 12th. Uh, and it's the latest offering from Clint Eastwood. So he is, as is usually the case, he directs it, he produces it, and in this instance, he's starring in it. Okay. Um, 91-year-old Clint gonna, Eastwood. I was literally going to ask, is he not super old right now? I mean, he, he not he, that that stops people, should stop people from working if that's what they want to do, but like... He is he is ninety one, okay. um, and uh, yeah, this is his latest movie. There is a there is a Portuguese director who lived to something like a hundred and six, a hundred and seven, and released a film the year in which he died. So um, Clint Eastwood's got if if that's a standard yeah. to go by. Clint Eastwood's got another fifteen years of films in him yet. Wow. Okay. Well, well, let's see what happens. But yeah. yeah, this is uh, sounds impressive. Well, yeah. So. Um, it, it, now I'm I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan and and I love his work and I think as a director he's one of the finest directors um, of the modern era. I think he's made some some stunning films uh, with 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 you know some great storytelling and and wonderful visuals and and, and all of that. I think he's a, a great storyteller and a wonderful filmmaker. Um, but I kept thinking that he finished as an actor, and mm-hmm. and I thought that Gran Torino was billed as his final his his final kind of time on the screen as an actor and this is his third film since then okay i uh, mean there are so many bands that have been like final tour and then it's like 10 tours later they're yeah, still final yeah. touring yeah yeah so. I, I guess uh, i don't know so i don't know to, in fairness to clint eastwood i don't know whether it was actually said that grand Torino sure. was his last film as a director maybe it was uh, as, a, as an actor but, but perhaps there's an assumption yeah, that it sure. was. Um, but then he's come back since. He did a film called Trouble with the Curve, which was something to do with baseball. And then more recently, he did The Mule uh, th- that he starred in himself. And then uh, now there's this one, Cry Macho. This is the first film he's done for quite some time now that is not in any way based on or inspired by a true story. Mm, this okay. is uh, based on a book that's apparently the... the the screenplay has been doing the rounds for over 30 years. Mm. Uh, and, and on several occasions in the past, this was almost made. And at one point, Clint Eastwood almost made it with Robert Mitchum starring in it mm-hmm. quite a long time ago. But but um, but yeah, let me let me say about what the film is. Yes, please. So, I was going to ask. 
A one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder in 1978 takes a job from an ex-boss to bring the man's young son home and away from his alcoholic mum. Crossing rural Mexico on their way back to Texas, the unlikely pair face an unexpectedly challenging journey during which the world-weary horseman may find his own sense of redemption through through teaching the boy what it means to be a good man. Okay, so it seems like there's a lot going on there, which is quite interesting. So it's a very gentle film. Mm. It's it's a road movie. It's it's mm. about this this old man. It, they don't say in the movie how old the, the man is. So it's possible Clint Eastwood was playing somebody slightly younger, but he is ninety one, mm. and he looked every year of that ninety one in this movie, and he moves in a very slow way. He speaks quite slowly. He looks old and frail. Okay, but he puts in a good performance in this part. A um, couple of bits that felt a little bit. I don't know that they didn't quite fit. There's one. There's a fight scene, mm-hmm. and you're sort of thinking that you you expected to believe the audience that that a 91 year old man can knock down a man who is more than half of his age, mm. um, you know. But Clint fl- throws a punch. He knocks a bloke down, and 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 it, the way he then sort of takes a stance as if the guy's ready to get back up, and he's holding his fists up, and his hands are, are wobbling a little bit. Yeah, it, it, you sort of think I don't know. It, it was a bit. I guess if you hit someone in the right part of their head, then they could easily go down, for sure. Yeah. But then if you're already quite... If you're a weakened person because of your age, potentially, then maybe it wouldn't... There's also a a romantic element to it as well, that that he meets somebody along the way Mm -hmm. and they strike up a relationship. But it was kind of tastefully done. But it was just this side of being tastefully done. Because she's how old? Is that well, what you mean? Well, yeah, because there was clearly a considerable age difference. And mm-hmm. also, I, I think it could be quite... I'm not, I'm not... I think it could be quite uncomfortable to watch quite elderly people in a, in a, in a romantic tryst on a mm. screen. You know, it, it's... I don't know. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, though. Like, oh, oh, oh I've heard rumours that it, that it happens. <laughs> There's a lot. I've heard some people over 40 still do that sort what? of thing. Yeah. No, don't. That's, that's hurting my, my brain, Danny. Don't but, say but that. But I once heard an, a, quite an old actor who, I think it might be somebody like Robert Redford, and, and, and he said, you know, people don't want to see me at my age, like, you know, kissing someone on screen, whatever their, whatever their age may or yeah, may not but be. but then shouldn't we normalise, like, people still being able to find romance and, yeah, like, yeah. Have, make relation, have re- relationships and it's, things? It's not about... It's not about whether or not that happens in a movie. It's about how it's depicted, what you see. Mm. You know, you mo- most films would be somewhat tasteful and would not necessarily... A good film would not necessarily show you the ins and outs of what a couple might do one night. Indeed. You know, um, they don't need to. They can they can hint at it. They, you yeah. know, you can know what's what's happening. But it was, like I say, it was this side of tasteful. It was, it, it at one point I thought, oh, he's going to snog her. But it didn't quite <laughs> go there. And, and so it, it, it worked quite well. Yeah, okay. Well, but, maybe, um, I don't know, I assume this was... Maybe- Made either during COVID or pre-COVID, or uh, during. As far as so, I'm like, there was in the credits, there were COVID wranglers or something oh, okay. other. I noticed. So potentially, um, you know, the amount of contact that the actors would have would be lessened due to that as well. Potentially, uh, no, no, probably not. I don't think. I no. I think the way that they make these things, it's not. I gather soap operas in this country, they do funny camera angles to have people very far apart. And if they show them actually being intimate, they've got doubles who are perhaps their own real life partners. Yes, yes. I don't think they do that in Hollywood. I, right. I think it's more that everybody's been tested and everyone on set is, sure. you know, it, it, I think it's done differently. Okay. Um, okay, fair enough. Certainly there was a couple of moments where they were quite close to one another and, and, and they were there was no way that was a camera trick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
but um, but yeah, so it's it's uh, you know a good a good central performance from Clint, um, beautifully shot, great um, vistas of the, the the landscape. It was set in um, Mexico near the Texas border. Mm-hmm. I think it was filmed in New Mexico, um, and um, it you know looks looks great and a good performance from the young man as well in it who who was a teenage actor Eduardo Eduardo Minette. And uh, he was he was particularly good as well, uh, and uh, it was a good relationship between him and Clint Eastwood um, throughout this this movie. Mm. So that's Cry Macho, uh, gentle, not too, not, is, is by no means action packed. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so depending upon what you're looking for, you might think it's not really a Saturday night movie. You know, if it's on the cinema, you mm. I don't know, you might p- prefer to watch it on DVD or something. Yeah, but, sure. But Clint Eastwood fans, it would appeal to, and people who like a slightly gentler uh, drama would. Mm-hmm. would perhaps enjoy it as well okay um so that's out of friday the 12th the other film that's out on friday the 12th which i haven't seen so i've got far less to say mm-hmm. about it is mothering sunday uh and uh, this uh it takes place on mother's day in 1924 uh mr and mrs evan give their housekeeper um jane fairchild played by odessa young the day off as the couple are set to go to their neighbor's house to celebrate his engagement the truth is jane and the neighbor paul have been having an affair for many years. Mm-mm. Okay, well, this sounds like far too much dra- drama for my liking. Okay, uh, <laughs> so uh, this has in it Olivia Coleman, Colin Firth, uh, and Glenda Jackson. So, um, is it is, is this set in the UK? Do you know? You don't know. Uh, well, looking at the cast, I'd have yeah. said so. They're all English. That's, that was yeah. That was going to be because obviously in America, the Mothering Sunday is on a different. Or is it Father's Day? One of those is on a different day. Uh, and- uh, Mother's Day and Mothering Sunday are two different, different things, okay. and they're on at different dates. But in America as well, they they are watched at different times. This isn't this is this doesn't correspond with Mothering Sunday or Mother's Day in either place. Okay, well, I think one's in March and one's in May. Sure, but but uh, I'm yeah. sorry, this is, this is really by the by. But like, yeah, I just wondered because when we talk about Mother's Day, it can be different. But also, neighbours is spelt with a U, so I would assume it is British. In that respect, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a British movie, you know, yeah. and it's a British cast. Um, yeah, but there's loads of British people in American movies that you would, you know, they do an excellent American accent. So. Why are you questioning me? It is a British movie. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying. Why are you not trusting me on this? I've done a bit of homework. Cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, okay. It's, well, it sounds um, stressful. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll try. Because I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of sneaking around and all this business. Yeah, yeah, you don't really want any of that, do you? No. Nah. But there you go. Um, it's Olivia Coleman, who, who of course, it's in the rules that she's in everything. Um, well, Colin Firth and Glenda Jackson in there. I think people who uh, are familiar with any of those actors will know really what they're letting themselves in for with this. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, it's uh, yeah, set just after um, World War One in England, post-World War One England is its setting. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the other release this week, Mothering Sunday. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Here we are again and we're going to look at 
releases on streaming, Danny. So we have a couple of couple of films coming out on Netflix of interest. Uh, first one is called Red Notice, and we've got an all star cast: Dwayne Don- Johnson, Gal Gadot, Ryan Reynolds is there. Yes, uh, so this is this is a Netflix release. Um, that we we cover Netflix and Amazon Prime, uh, but the Netflix was the only one that had any movies coming out over the next week. So uh, we're, we're just mentioning two Netflix releases. Yeah, and the first one, Red Notice. Now that comes out on November the twelfth uh, on uh, Netflix, but it did come out last week in some cinemas, and that's done so that it's eligible for awards like Oscars and things. I see. <laughs> so Netflix, who are now becoming quite good at this, mm. will release in some cinemas. And it literally could be a handful. Yeah. I think one year, one of the cinemas that they counted was The Odyssey that showed one of the a Netflix film. And because it did that, it is, it, if it gets a, a, a cinematic release, it's eligible for, for things like that. Uh, streaming films otherwise don't. Yeah. There are those who've argued most vociferously that that's wrong. Um, some, some quite famous proponents of this include um, Steven Spielberg. Mm. Uh, but I think in, especially when it... The, the, the arguments saying that was wrong were pre-pandemic. Mm. Whereas I think that for a lot of films, there was no choice um, with, with their release. But, but this is one that's a Netflix movie and it's got... As you mentioned there, a, a, an almighty cast, you know, three three titans of action movies, mm. Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. And um, so the story is uh, when an Interpol issued red notice, the highest level warrant to hunt and capture the world's most wanted goes out. The FBI's top profile profiler, John Hartley, is on the case. His global pursuit finds him smack dab in the middle of a daring heist where he's forced to partner with the world's greatest art thief, Nolan Booth, played by Ryan Reynolds, Mm. in order to catch the world's most... Sorry, oh yeah, yeah, so he's partnered with the world's greatest art thief, Nolan Booth, in order to catch the world's most wanted art thief, the Bishop played by Gal Gadot. Um, The high-flying adventure that ensues takes the trio around the world across the dance floor, trapped in a secluded prison, into the jungle, and worst of all for them, constantly into each other's company. The all-star cast is joined by uh, people I've never heard of, and it's directed and written by um, Rawson Marshall Thuber, who directed Central Intelligence and Skyscraper, which I think at least Skyscraper had in it uh, Dwayne Johnson as well. Okay. Um, Central so Intelligence. I can, that little, the little one. What's he called? Kevin Hart was in that. I'm sure. I, if any of those way you could look this I up. I mean, I don't know. Central yeah. Intelligence. Get on it. Okay. Um, and uh, this is uh, produced by um, Dwayne Johnson as well. The, this particular movie. Uh, and so it's described here as a stylish gro- globe-trotting game of cat and mouse and cat. <laughs> cat and mouse and cat. Okay. Yeah. Um, so cats and mouse maybe would have been a way to put that. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, this, is, this was uh, when you were reading that. I was like smack dab. I've not heard anyone say that for a long time. There you go. So yeah, bit of a bit of an odd one. Uh, okay. Yes, Kevin Hart was in Central Intelligence. Was Dwayne Johnson? Uh, he was. Yes. Oh right, so, so it, was, it was him as well. Mm, you're thinking okay. of the right thing. Yeah, um, and, and and so yes, so it's from the same director, and you can imagine with Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds that would be a bit of an odd pairing, but. Th- if they're both at the top of their game in this, you can imagine how entertaining that could be mm, as well. Yeah. Um, I find Ryan Reynolds a bit hit and miss, personally. I think, I think a lot of people accuse him, accuse him of, do, you know, being Ryan Reynolds in everything. Yeah. Like, he's got this one sort of one-trick pony almost yeah. uh, style now. Because I think he nailed it in Deadpool. Absolutely. I'm not so sure about the sequel. 
and and I'm not so sure about other stuff he's done where he's just mm. being Deadpool light. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so, yeah, perhaps you know. Well, we'll have to see what how he plays. Um, yeah. I mean, we watched um, Free Guy recently. Have you mm-hmm. seen that? No. Uh, so he's a non-playable character in a in a computer game, um, and he sort of has a little bit of. Uh, he ends up being a bit more sentient than than what his programming would allow him. And yeah, he wasn't so. Deadpool light in that he was a little yeah a bit more removed okay. but with still that sort of charm and everything to him so I saw a film that he did at the beginning of lockdown that was released on a streaming service straight to a streaming service because of the cinema thing mm. and I I think it might have been called Six Underground and I'm now yes, trying to it was. is that what it was yeah. called I thought that was atrocious um I did I watch that with, or maybe I just saw parts of it because it's not really my kind of thing and yeah it was it was bad and like it was so dark like the, you couldn't actually see any of the action there was a that, that might mean your telly um but there was a <laughs> no, it was not. yeah it could have been um there was a 20 minute um car chase that was boring <laughs> after i mean after 10 minutes of it i was bored by it's it like, okay <laughs> yeah yeah it was just boring and mm. I, I just thought this film was 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 thankfully everything the mission impossible films were not mm-hmm. um that, that he was trying to do that he was trying to you know go down that territory and it just failed dismally and yeah. and i think it was it was trying to present ryan reynolds as being wisecracking and charming and i just thought he was annoying mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah i but mean it, i guess that depends a little bit on the script you know he can only do so much yeah 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 there'd be a lot of lot of factors in that many of which are not actually his fault either yeah. you know you can only do so much with what you're given um but but anyway that yeah. that's the big new release on netflix well, um do you, i was gonna just say one more thing danny before you move on this sounds um, you know where you've got sort of people working together that you wouldn't normally see working together um it's quite similar sounding to a movie the gangster the cop the devil uh, which is a um, South Korean movie where you've got a cop who ends up working with a gangster. So obviously they would, ne- you know, they're trying. The cop's trying to put the gangster away um, for all his gang-related, you know, misdemeanors. But they end up working together to try and catch a serial killer. Um, and I would. It was a 2019 movie, so it hasn't been out that long. Um, but yeah, it, it's based on a true story as well. And uh, it was it was really good and i'd recommend just i thought it sounded quite similar to this in that respect okay um it i mean it is fair to say i think that it's it's hardly original material no of course course. the the whole idea of of mismatched people having to work together for a common good and all that is is not exactly um is new uh, by any chance at all but you know it's it's um yeah um you know it's something that's been done so many times before but i imagine that they are you know with with this cast it stands a chance of being quite good Mm. well Um, you would hope yeah uh so uh there you go also um interestingly you may have picked this up or not but but dwayne johnson gal gadot and ryan reynolds all star in um superhero in fact all in the dc superhero franchise family Um, Gal Gadot was Wonder Woman of course uh, mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds was the Green Lantern and Dwayne <laughs> Johnson is about to be Black Adam in, in some big movie oh. that's about to come out uh, that's an, another one from DC comics mm-hmm. also all of them have been in the Fast and Furious film franchise as well okay um, well I've seen one two of those movies so yeah, that's probably too many <laughs> but uh, also apparently this is the biggest budget netflix movie so far oh wow um, uh, the I budget mean, was over, around 200 million dollars yeah uh, so i'm assuming uh, that those three weren't cheap 
for one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's probably fair to say. Um, but uh, anyway, that that's that's the big one that's coming out. There is one other on Netflix that also comes out, which maybe appeals to a, a slightly different audience. <laughs> Just a touch. Yeah. So um, we've mentioned on the film guide before the, the this series of films. It's the Princess Switch. And uh, it's just, I mean, it's not aimed at me. So I'm trying not to make it sound like I'm hating on it too much is it because a, it's not aimed at me. Is it an um, animation it's, or animated? No, it? it's a family um, comedy drama right. thing that's probably aimed at teens and tweens. Okay. Really, as, as old as that, I thought it would be more, yeah. Right. So, The Princess Switch 3, Romancing the Star. I mean, they're even ripping off other movies in the title. I was going to say, that sounds like yeah. Romancing it's, the it, Stone. Yeah. It says here, when a priceless relic is stolen, Queen Margaret and Princess Stacy enlist the help of Margaret's cousin Fiona, who teams with a man from her past to retrieve it with romance and resulting in a very unexpected switch. Okay. Um, th- which uh, is, yeah... Um, I suppose if you're already a fan of the first two, you you probably go yeah. there. But so this this cousin Fiona um, looks an awful lot like Queen Margaret, and so I think in the previous movies, the, and the whole Princess Switch thing is is that they switch places. So I see. yeah, and I that, thought it was to do with like gaming consoles, but right? No, apparently okay, not. no, 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 no. Okay, and they're also I think they all tend to be set at Christmas as well. I think I oh, don't okay. know. I might be well, wrong on that. Certainly this one is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so yeah, there you so go. So it's a Friday. Uh, what's it? Um, no, it comes out. It doesn't come out on uh, on the twelfth. It comes out on the eighteenth, the following Thursday. This one gets released oh, okay. on the eighteenth of November. Uh, so if you're if you're desperate for it, you know you you might have to wait a few more days. But it comes out within the week of the film mm. guide. So okay. that's out next Thursday, um, and that's the princess. Which basically, I imagine, I don't know, you got younger younger kids, te- early teens, that they might quite enjoy it. Mm. It's a family movie, so there you go. Excellent. Well, thank you, Danny. And coming up in part three, we have Chris Aikman uh, dropping in with his uh, take. Well, he and I both talk about uh, his his uh, pick from Where To Next, West Bayer Route. Um, so stay tuned for that. The Film Guide with Sam and Chris. Part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Here we are already in part three, Chris. Where to next? Yes, yeah, so this is where we go around the world in search of interesting films, um, inter- interesting international films, because I, I f- you know, found myself just wanting to, wanting to experience the world a bit more through, through the medium of film. And so going around the world, we've, we've visited uh, France and Japan and uh, South Korea and other places chile chile senegal we went to senegal Mm -hmm. and this time we went to lebanon Uh, so this one we watched west beirut uh, from 1998 uh, directed by and i I apologize in advance uh, for any mispronunciations i'm doing my best uh zaid duiri i'm gonna go with sorry zaid if that is incorrect but zaid duiri um he directed it, and it is set in 1975 at the outbreak in April 1975, and the outbreak of the Lebanese Civil War. And it focuses mainly on three characters: uh, Tarek, played by Rami Duery, who is Zayed Duery's younger brother; Omar, played by Mohammed Chamas; and May, played by Rola Al Amin, who are 
three teenagers um, experiencing the Civil War. And at the start, it's all a bit of a laugh to them. They don't have to go to the school they don't like. You know, school... Beirut got split into East and West Beirut. And their school was in East Beirut, which is the sort of quasi-Christian part of the city. And West Beirut, where they live, is the Muslim, Jewish, Christian sort of mixed area. And people weren't allowed to pass between them. And, yeah, so it's it's all a bit of a laugh. They, they have, you know, they don't have to go to school. They're joking about it. They're annoying their parents. They're making films. They make Super 8 films. And this is all a bit, you know, quite sort of semi-autobiographical, as far as I understand it, but from Zaid Dueri, who also wrote wrote the film. He grew up at the time of the Civil War. He 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 made films with his friends before eventually moving to Los Angeles and getting started in films. He worked on several films um, of Quentin Tarantino, including I think Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. So he got a good grounding in cinema there and but obviously as as the film and and the war progresses and it becomes more and more serious uh and and the sort of you know the the teenagers especially Tarek you know starts to realize the gravity of the situation and Tarek's parents are his mother wants to leave Lebanon um She's a lawyer. His father doesn't. This is where, you know, he's trying to say, you know, this sort of thing has basically happened before. Loads of times it's never come to anything. So, you know, and our home is here. Why, where would we go? What would we do sort of thing? So they end up staying. And it's, um, well, so we watch this separately and we haven't actually spoken about our uh, our viewing experience. Anything you want to say just sort of off the bat about about West Beirut. Um, off the bat, let's think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it felt quite similar to. Um, no, not that's not that's not really what I mean. I don't mean similar. I mean that in terms of being in such a situation, and yet life has to go on in a certain amount of way you know maybe school is closed but they still have to eat they still have to talk to people you know interact with people um find something to do for the day uh because you know they haven't got school anymore um so yeah so the the war itself felt quite like a background character as it were sort of it wasn't really it wasn't a prominent um part of it for as far as I sort of felt uh but obviously like any actions that they were taking were were affected by by you know where they could go or what they could do that sort of thing um but yeah it was kind of, it was kind of a yeah it was like what are, what are teenagers going to do kicking about in this time um so yeah they make these super 8 movies and they're trying to get their film developed you know it's super 8 is kind of on the out it's not really a technology that you know we've moved to video yeah, at this only, point there's only one place in that they know of that develops their super 8 and it's now suddenly on the other side of the dividing line exactly and so 
I was frustrated with the main characters, uh, the two lads, a lot of the time. Yeah. Because they were just, um, yeah, I'm not going to use the phrase, but they were being, they were essentially, you know, sex pest in the making. Um, <laughs> very interested in in trying to check out ladies and that was really their main motivation and you can understand yeah. like that is you know a strong a strong feeling that you have as a teenager and uh they didn't have anything else much to do um but yeah so i was just like can you guys like can you turn your attention to like one thing else for like <laughs> a hot second but I thought there was, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Obviously, we don't learn about these types of things in school. Um, Mm. But to see, to to have it as that, like, very intimate, this is what happened within the family, this is what happened between friends, that, um, you know, is one of millions of stories within that city that happened during that time. Um. And we, you know, we we live next door to the island of Ireland mm. where the troubles were happening at the exact, you know, the height of the troubles was at the exact same time as this, pretty much. Um, and yet we barely learn about that in school either. So, you know, to hear these, like, these stories, um, you, like, like you said, it's semi-autobiographical, so... There's, I'm sure, some points of points in that story that truths were, t- um, gr- you know, maybe some of the conversation or actions were fictionalized, but point points are are truths. Um, so yeah, I thought I think I always think it's an interesting to hear those stories. Yeah. So so for for context, because I I didn't I knew of the Lebanese civil war. I, I didn't know any facts about the Lebanese Civil War. So for context, it started in April 1975. It only finished in October 1990. It lasted for 15 years. And there's an estimated 120,000 fatalities in those 15 years, as well as like a million people leaving Lebanon to actually mm. become refugees or, or move elsewhere. And so it, in the film, like a load is covered so... So Tarek and Omar are Muslims. They're from uh, Muslim families. They meet May, who is an orphaned Christian girl who moves into Tarek's apartment. And it's, you know, there's conversations about, so at some point Omar says how his his father is becoming more and more religious as the war goes on. He's, you know, making them read the Quran and and banning because you know they obviously love films they're making films they love films and he started to ban certain films and music and he can't have posters on his walls and things like that uh whereas like Tarek's family uh like I say his, his mother wants to leave his father doesn't but his father's becoming more and more withdrawn uh and quite depressed and it's um they sort of like and and Tarek's stuck in the middle. He doesn't he doesn't know what to do. This is when it starts like building upon him that it's you know things are getting worse and it's just yeah, as you say, like life is going on around while 
it's like there's a running joke about the woman who lives in their block who is constantly screaming at everyone to shut up in the morning because there's a cockerel that crows. Yeah, and but she's she's the one making the most noise. She, like she's the, the one making the most noise and everyone's heard kind shut of, up. You can kind of drown out a cockerel sound, right? Like you can kind of just allow that to wash over you. But then when someone's yelling at the top of their voice, you just, oh, yeah. So, you know, things, yeah, exactly. Like life is happening around them still. It has to, you know, we've seen that with the pandemic. Like we, things still have to happen. Yeah. Regardless. It's, I think, I think I, I, unless, unless you disagree, I want to sort of get into spoilers a little bit. If there's anything you want to say that's non-spoilerific. I mean, well, should, should we say overall, I, you know, what did you think of this film? Uh, yeah, I, I was, I liked it a, a lot. I, th- I thought it was a really interesting watch and um, yeah, I'm, I'm like a thousand percent more educated on the, the civil war than I was to begin with. Um, I hadn't quite figured out the exact time. Like I didn't look it up or anything. Um, so yeah, I need to do a bit more research obviously and educate myself. But yeah, I, I figured it was, it must've been, yeah, like late seventies or early eighties, but based on, yeah, the music and the the dress, but um, actually I suppose they had like bell bottom, yeah. <laughs> they had bell bottom trousers. So yeah, I should have uh, Massive, that. uh, collars and like floral collars yes yeah so like quite sort of westernized uh fashion um i suppose i don't know if if that if that's a correct statement but um yeah i think i think i was nervous because i was yeah i mean i was nervous it's about a war right i was i was nervous about about how sort of bloody or you know battles and such that there would be um but like i said earlier i think it was a bit more of a background character um and yeah though the relationships and the people that we meet right at the beginning you know those are the those are the prominent in terms in terms of violence you only see some violence right at the beginning yeah in the first 10 minutes and then after that, as you say, it's kind of secondary. You hear fighting, yeah, and you see the results of fighting, but it's you know it's still kind of yeah off in the in the distance. I will say that initially, I found especially Tarek quite annoying. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He, he and and part of it's intentional. He's of he's course. trying to because he, yeah he's having a you know his parents are trying to take him to school and he's telling them. The school is closed, and someone another kid tells him the school is closed. Uh, but they're trying to take him to school, but then they discover that the um, East Beirut has now been blocked off. And he's like, then changes his tune. He's like, "Oh no, oh no, school, my favorite thing!" And he's being an <laughs> annoying little, you know, so and so, just to annoy his parents. But I sort of initially, yeah. Another thing is obviously that they, you know, these are. These weren't professional actors. I say uh, Rami Duiri was is uh, the director's younger brother. They needed someone of that age, and um, they also hired Mohammed Shamas, who's who was also you know a child at the time, um, and has Omar basically shout every line. 
he's, I mean, he's I can understand intense, why. He's an intense little child. I can understand why he's so frustrated at Tarek. Like he was, <laughs> he was an annoying. Like he's just off. You know, thinks he owns the world, gets to do whatever he wants when he wants, and like, yeah, just but, oh my god. But that's gosh. that's important for. Okay, so spoilers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you don't want spoilers, uh, jump to this time code. Thirty-one thirty. Okay, so you need Tarek to be, you know, this annoying censor who who thinks he owns he knows how everything works. You know, he's, he's playing pranks at school. He's annoying his teachers. He's annoying his parents. But like as as the film goes on and on, you know, the gravity of the situation starts dawning on him. The ending. I'm just jumping straight to the ending. Yeah, jumping straight to the ending. <laughs> All right. Because I, I found the ending very affecting. Well, how did you interpret the ending? Which I... <sighs> I mean, like, can I say what I think the ending was? Yes. We're, we're in spoilers, aren't we? Right. Yeah, we're in spoilers. His his mother has been killed somehow, murdered maybe, and or perhaps. She, that happened much earlier and he just didn't know how to deal with it. So we didn't, we didn't know that until that moment. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think it's that, but I think, no? yes, I think it's so, you know, it, right near the end, they've, you know, his parents have an, another argument about whether they can leave. His, his father puts his foot down and says, no, then the next scene, actually, you know, you see his father getting up in the middle of the night and he starts looking at, like a, an atlas to see and it, it's you know i read it as he he is looking at places where they could maybe go yeah absolutely and then Tarek's mother um hala comes out of the bedroom and she you know i think she she apologizes to him for for the argument and goes to get to get his um what musical instrument was it yeah it's a guitar-like music. It's a stringed instrument. Yes. Somewhere between a guitar and a mandolin. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm sure. I'm sorry, sorry, I don't know. I don't know either. And he's, you know, oh, I haven't played this for years. And she's like, oh, doesn't matter. Just, yeah, I love hearing you play. And so he starts playing. And then we're shown footage from, from you know, some of his film, some of its actors, and other parts are real footage of the Lebanese civil war. Mm-hmm. Then cut back to his father and I think his mother's there initially. And then the camera pulls back to mm-hmm. reveal Tarek sort of hiding behind a curtain, essentially. And he's, he's crying uncontrollably. And then as the camera sort of moves again, Tarek's father is there, but his mother is not. And then you're shown some Super 8 footage of Tarek's mother playing, or uh, well, like on with her son on a beach. Yeah. And then it ends. It's like, God, that hit me. I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I found it very effective. Like not at the not at the time because I because like it's one of those ones where you're like, oh, oh. Oh, is that what it's saying? Mm-hmm. And then I also look like looked it up as well, like have I read it correctly? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, oh no. And so, well, yeah, it's it's implied that at some point 
his mother is is killed or you know and that's that's the effect it has on the fact the family is broken as as she you know was saying it would be if something happened to any of them well yeah i mean she like you know it was the 70s you know you could say that it was the 2020s because it's the same as it always has been but women are have the extremely important role within the household of cooking cooking making sure everyone's up it, up in time for school work you know all of that emotional labor and and housework labor and all of that stuff unpaid labor that women do in the house um she said directly to them at one point what would you do if i wasn't here mm. because they cannot look after themselves they are unable to you know figure it out you know Tarek has an argument with his mother at one point and then says, oh, wouldn't you like to fix me a sardine sandwich that you always enjoy making me? And just like, dude, get in the kitchen and make your own damn sandwich. But like, that is, yeah, that is how it was. And yeah, she always says, you know, what if I wasn't here? And and then that is the case. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's devastating regardless, but like, you just know that they're going to be even more more lost than... yeah. So, I just, yeah, I, I overall as a film, I thought it was very good, very interesting. Once I got over how annoying <laughs> the, the teenagers were, yeah, uh, no, but yeah. I think that's I think but, it was realistic. I agree, and like, yeah, and like you say that you know they're teenage boys. Part of it's that they're the film they want to get developed Ugh. is them <laughs> spying on their uncle's new wife. Um, mm-hmm. not in like you know she she's not nude or anything like that, but they've just like videotaped his the hot new wife through yeah, a door. All, yeah, they're all sat like in the sitting room equivalent, whatever you might call it, front room or whatever, together as a family, and the two lads are in Omar's bedroom, and yeah, just filming her in that situation of her chit chatting with the other relatives, but you know. Yep. That's what's exciting, I guess. <laughs> like, if you've, <laughs> why not? Why not? Um, on this podcast, I should say we do not condone spying on people with Super 8 cameras. Mm-mm. Anyway, uh, so that was West Beirut from 1998. We are now, well, for next month, uh, on Where to Next, going over to Brazil. Uh, not as old a movie as 1998. It's only a couple of years old. It's from 1999. Um, I'm going to, again, pronunciations, I'm sorry, but Bacurau, it looks like. Bacurau from 1998. It's uh, directed by Kleber Mondoncha Filo and Juliano, uh, sorry, Juliano Donels. And it's uh, Portuguese uh, for Nightjar, Bacurau. Oh, the bird. Bird. So it also won the jury prize at the Cannes Film Festival, which is one of the biggest prizes at the Cannes Film Festival. So when it came out in 2019, mm. uh, it is currently available on Mubi, the uh, streaming service which largely has uh, international films. Uh, so back around, that is what we will be watching and discussing next month. Um, please do get in contact at uh, chris at snallbunspodcast.com. That's chris at snallbunspodcast.com or sam at snallbunspodcast.com. She can pass it on to me. 
And uh, if you have any thoughts on Baccarat or West Beirut or any movie that we've discussed so far in the series. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. All right, let's get Danny's pick of free of movies on free-to-air television. I can never get that right. Okay, Danny, so tonight, Friday the 12th of November. May not be tonight. But yeah, okay. I know, but, you know, I'm assuming that people are on it and are listening so they can get the pick of what they might listen to on the Friday the 12th. Okay. At 11.55pm on BBC One. We have uh, 2009's Up in the Air. Yes, a corporate downsizing expert loves his life detached from everyday existence and striving to achieve a personal goal of 10 million accumulated air miles. Mm -hmm. However, his lifestyle comes under threat by an up-and-coming executive with a revolutionary approach that would make his role all but obsolete. Comedy drama starring George Clooney, Vera Farmiga, Anna Kendrick, Jason Bateman and Amy Morton. And I, I love this movie. I think it's really, it's really good. It's funny, but it's, it doesn't feel like a comedy. It is a comedy, but it, it's kind of more of a, a humorous drama. Okay. I think. Sure. Um, and, 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 so it's not designed to be an out and out comedy necessarily. No, I mean, there are just... some, there are some funny moments in it and there's some funny dialogue. Mm. Uh, you know, it is, it is a funny film, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, I, I don't think I would lead with it. It says here, comedy, drama, romance. Okay. Um, and it does it does tick all those boxes, um, and it's the, the director of it is Jason Reitman, the son of the director Ivan Reitman, who did the Ghostbusters films. Uh, there you go. Jason Reitman, who in fact has got I, I think say. he's got the new Ghostbusters yeah. film coming out because he he's made the next one, um, and it's been panned and it's not out really? yet. It's had such bad reviews. Yeah, I thought the trailer looked all right for it. If you, if you can't make the trailer look good, then you're really in trouble. No, but I mean, I thought it looked all right. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing it okay. rather than... Well, I'd be intrigued to see yeah. it. It's got the original cast in it. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, uh, but, but Jason Reitman also uh, directed uh, Juno and Thank You for Smoking. And, and so he's known for making good sort of comedies, quirky movies. And, um, and yeah, a great, great performance by George Clooney, who just plays this ruthless um, business character who's very much... Um, he lives on his own. He's very happy with his own company, it would seem. And he lives in hotel rooms. He lives from job to job. He, he, he is somebody that is hired in to make people redundant. And he sits and, and so he gets, so he's flying all over the country, mm-hmm. like going into offices and making staff redundant. And, and there's lots of footage of him sat down. And the way, the way he does it, he's so good at it that at the end of it, they're actually thanking him for making them redundant he 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 tells them what the package is he tells them how it's going to work he 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 he's quite he, he seems very detached and and mm-hmm. and cold 
Um, I mean, those that's such a heated situation redundancies, isn't it? So you kind of need that third party detached. Yeah, and and then there's a new a new young woman who's brought in as well to, to for him to show her the ropes, and he doesn't really want that because he doesn't want to have to travel with anyone. Mm. And and it's Anna Kendrick playing her, and and is a quite a funny bit at the airport where he he has got packing down to an art, <laughs> and she's got this massive suitcase and she's struggling, and he like opens it up and he just throws everything in the bin. He goes, "Don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need one of those. You don't need that. You only need one of those ones." You, you, and 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 he's quite and he's teaching her how to do what he does. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, but yeah, great performances as well from uh, Jason Bateman. And Vera Farmiga is the, um, is the lead in this. And, uh, and, and she, she's really good in it. And it, 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 the whole film goes in directions you don't expect it to go. You, you, you imagine it's going to be cliched in one particular way, but then it surprises you. Uh, and, and it did very well at the Oscars. It got nominated for six Oscars, uh, including Best Actor for George Clooney, Best Actress for Vera Farmiga, Best Supporting Actress for Anna Kendrick, mm. uh, Best Director for Jason um, Reitman, and uh, Best Picture as well. And Best Adapted Screenplay. It got nominated for the big six. It didn't win any of them, but it got, <laughs> yeah, no- but it got nominated for, for a bucket load of them. And I think is, this might have been the year that I think Clooney did win that year, but not for that. Um, no, I'm, I might be thinking of the. No, I'm thinking of the previous year. He won the previous year um, where he was nominated twice, um, hmm. and he won in one of the categories. Sorry, he upped his uh, chances there, didn't he? Yeah, um, but but yeah, up in the air. Really good film. Very very. Um, it's charming. It it kind of because sh- it's also you see this guy develop as the thing goes on. He mellows somewhat. And you know he 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 softens slightly. He he, he you know and, and he get, gains a degree of compassion as the movie goes on. Oh. So it's nice to see his journey. Yeah. And and there's a great uh, cameo role right at the end for um, an actor that I think is just um, amazing in anything he does. Uh, Sam Elliott. Uh, he he rocks up near the end of the movie. Um, but you also have in there a Zach Galifianakis. Is that how you say his name? Uh, sure. Okay, he's in it, uh, and uh, Danny McBride is in it, J.K. Simmons is in it. It's got a really, really good cast, lots and lots of uh, faces that you will know from elsewhere. But that's uh, Up in the Air, George Clooney and Vera Farmiga. Excellent. So then moving to Saturday the 13th of November at 10.50pm, this is on ITV. I don't know why I said it like that, that sounded weird. ITV, 2013 this is, Man of Steel. Yes, so this is um, the the reboots um, of uh, the Superman and uh, you know the, the whole of the sort of DC um, universe, which was kind of rebooted after Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight movie. This was this came out shortly after, and in fact, Christopher Nolan's a producer on this movie. Uh, and uh, and yeah, the the story for those who don't know, this is the Superman story. It's a, <laughs> an alien child from a dead world is raised on Earth and grows up, keeping his origins and extraordinary abilities a secret. He is forced to take a stand to protect his adopted home from a fanatical general from his own world who intends to wipe out the human race. And it stars Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Michael Shannon, and Russell Crowe among others. Mm. So they saw what Marvel had going and they were like, right, we need to do something about this, guys. Yeah, and, and do you know what? It amazes me that DC, who are the people who own Superman and Batman mm. and Wonder Woman, they have the better heroes. They have the superheroes that everyone's heard of. Yeah. They've not had the same success that Marvel has managed to create. Yeah, they've not. They've just not had a plan, I don't think. Well, or the, even th- if they have, it's just not been well executed. I don't think it's quite as coherent as, mm. as the Marvel one. And the Marvel one... You know, they've they very strictly follow that particular plan. That there's there's you know there's twenty plus movies in the Marvel universe, but it's also one story as well as hundreds of stories. And yes. 
and and they are um, very faithful to what's happened in other movies and crossovers and 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 plot points from other films that you know they they're, yeah. they're very faithful to it the, the one thing that i think dc got right was um the tv work i think the arrow and flash and supergirl and those those things i think they call them the arrowverse mm-hmm. the, uh, the, those tv series they all interact with one another and they all follow a um you know they're all set in the same universe i think and sure and, and they have a, a sort of a respect for one another it i don't think it relates to what they do on the big screen yeah i think um it's one it's one thing having this very complex like mcu the marvel cinematic universe where you have you know people are gonna pick apart you know this plot point oh that didn't tie into like however many films back blah 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 so in a way the dc by not having that interconnectedness allows them to be a bit more free perhaps yeah but i think the fans like it i think they they like like the interconnected yeah i think so yeah sure no yeah i can understand that but then also i think dc marvel's very polished and shiny and i think dc is a bit more rough around the edges but actually that's like a bit more endearing sometimes like they can do something that's a bit more Mm. like a 15 rather than a 12a i think it was certainly their intention you know zack snyder made this movie man of steel and was involved um until a tragedy meant that he could Mm. he could no longer be involved but he was involved with with these movies he 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 was involved with this one and the subsequent um batman v superman dawn of justice and then the justice league movie and the wonder woman movie and the um the aquaman one as well and shazam Mm. and they're all they're all set in the same universe uh, and 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 I think it was felt that whilst the Aquaman and the Wonder Woman movies were quite successful, the others were less so. Yeah. And that they were going to maybe sort of play down the fact that they're connected and and, and make them more standalone. Mm-hmm. And then Zack Snyder went and recut and was able to release his vision for what he wanted for the Justice League movie, and the success of that recut version is has been such that it looks like that might be rejuvenated and it might even be that he's given a green light for a sequel now and, and mm-hmm. um, it, it brings it all back. So it was, I think it was believed that Henry Cavill, his time might be over as Superman, whereas it's now believed he might be back. Okay. And right. I think he's rather good. Yeah. yeah. I, I think he's very good as, as, as both Clark Kent and Superman in that sort of dual role and uh, good support from Amy Adams and J.K. Simmons, who's in this one as well as in movie from yesterday uh and also yeah, michael shannon as the the, the sort of the, the general zod mm-hmm. uh, um very uh very uh, effective in that <laughs> sorry general zod is just a funny name isn't it does sound a bit like um it's from a children's thing doesn't yeah. it really i mean it is a comic book like it's not it's i didn't like, imagine it was julia donaldson but that's zog yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah yeah <laughs> sorry i mean it's, yeah it's, it's not a bad name it's just you know it's an alien name it just sounds funny to us yeah yeah it sounds alien doesn't indeed it? yeah Excellent. Well, thank you for that pick. So on to Sunday the 14th. Oh, I should have, sorry, I, I yes, should have mentioned please. as well, I, I forgot this, but but two of the great performances that we haven't mentioned are Kevin Costner and Diane Lane as um, Clark Kent's parents. Ah, yeah, uh, and uh, and And, you know, they, they are particularly good in this movie. Uh, and, and, yeah, because the, when they retell the, cine- the, the story of Superman, sometimes it changes a bit. Some, in some versions, um, Superman's father died when he was young, and in others, his Earth father died when he was young, mm. and in other versions, he didn't. And, you know, it's a, it's a small part, but it was quite crucial in it and yeah kevin costner was particularly good in this and and given that some years ago he was a big film star himself to mm-hmm. take a smaller role um was was i think maybe slightly surprising but but he was particularly good 
yeah, I mean, if, if you can bring all of that knowledge and experience, to ju- even just to a small role, then that's, you know, yeah. why not? Okay, so yes, Sunday the 14th of November at 10.55pm. This is on Five Star. This is Dangerous Minds. Oh, amazing movie. Have you seen this? I don't think I have. Oh, this is so good. So the, the, the storyline is, a former Marine leaves military life behind and retrains as a teacher. However, she faces an uphill struggle to earn her pupils' respect when she is assigned to a class of low achievers with poor prospects in a tough inner city school. Fact-based drama starring Michelle Pfeiffer, George Zunza, Courtney B. Vance and Robin Bartlett. And a wonderful, powerful central performance for Michelle Pfeiffer as this tough Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, you just say the words tough Marine and you, you instantly picture a bloke not not a petite blonde of course um but she you have no doubt in her mind that that, that's her background Mm -hmm. and and it's based it was based on a book that was quite well known at the time called my posse don't do homework and it was Mm -hmm. a real life memoir about um a woman who taught in a very tough inner city area and it just shows how she succeeded in that area how she captured the hearts and minds of the 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 people in her class who everyone had given up on and just thought, well, these these guys, they're just they're just thugs. They're yeah. they're they're going to amount to nothing. Yeah, that's and, it. And she believed in them. And for for musical fans, fans of music, um, you might be intrigued to know that this is where the song "Gangsters Paradise" came from. Oh. If you remember Coolio featuring mm-hmm. LV uh, and Michelle Pfeiffer is in their video for it. Okay, so uh, was it? Is it one of those that was was it written specifically for the movie or I, was it just it happened to be around and they used I, it in the movie and it that gave it like a bit more I would say it was the latter no I I, I, th- I believe it was the former it was written for the movie not okay. least because she's in the video right. as the character from the movie I see um, mm-hmm. but uh, Interesting. but, but it, it it fits the urban edgy feel of the movie quite well to yeah, have that, that that song in there uh, but but yeah a great great performance by Michelle Pfeiffer and um she really does carry the the, the movie and it's yeah it's it's got it's got so much going for it. There's been a few good films over the years, I think, that we're in it, set in some kind of school or education setting about a teacher who doesn't give up on the students mm-hmm. and who believes in them. And, and this, this easily falls into that category, but it does it so well. Um, so uh, that's, um, that's Dangerous Minds, uh, which, uh, yeah, great, great movie. Excellent. Well, I'll look out for that one. Uh, uh, moving on to Monday the 15th at 9pm on the Paramount Network. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Have you seen this movie? Uh, uh, no. Oh, I don't th- think so. This is a classic movie. Um, I've it, definitely heard of it. So it's it's basically an action comedy horror. Okay. It's not really horror, but there's elements <laughs> of it. There's a little bit of sort of supernatural in it. Okay. But it's largely a big action comedy. And Kurt Russell, I think, has possibly never been better. Uh, Kurt Russell, who's enjoyed something of a, of, of a resurgence, I think, of late. You know, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino cast him in a couple of movies, and and he's been in the Fast and Furious films recently, and he's done other things as well. And I think I think Kurt Russell has sort of come back into sort of the public. Uh, you're, you're pulling a face. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. No, I'm just because I'm rereading the. I'm reading the description of the of the movie, and I, I'm wondering if I have seen it potentially. Right. Is there a lot of it set like? in the sewers or like underground or maybe that's a different movie i think yeah maybe you're getting that confused with the teenage mutant ninja turtles <laughs> no. 
There wasn't any tor- like turtles in it. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. So Big, big oh. Trouble in Little China is about a dim-witted and fearless trucker, over here known as a trucker, um, who goes in search of his friend's kidnapped fiancé in San Francisco's Chinatown. He blunders into a supernatural world ruled by a powerful ghostly sorcerer who needs the captured woman so he can rejoin the land of the living. Comedy fantasy adventure starring Kurt Russell, Dennis Dunn, Kim Cattrall from Sex and the City in a, mm. quite an early role. Uh, James Hong and Victor Wong and it's um, it's directed by John Carpenter see this is I was going to ask is it a John Carpenter because I feel like I have seen it it is but it isn't you know if you say is it a John Carpenter movie you're going to think of like uh, Halloween or um, uh, Escape from New York or or, or, or the, the Fog The Thing, the thing um, you know the, the Escape you know, from Precinct 13. Assault on Precinct Ass- 13. Assault, yeah. yeah, it's not like any of those. This is no. this is about as big and, and 80s action as you could get, but it's directed by John Carpenter, and it's one of his frequent collaborators, Kurt Russell. Mm. Um, so it's it's slightly out of style for, for, for John Carpenter, but it's a blooming good film. Yeah. It's fun. It's funny. It's action. It's comedy. There's a great bit where he, he kind of, the, the hero, who is a bit a bit of an idiot. He's a bit dumb. Um, but, you know, like muscles where brains should be. Uh-huh. And, he, and he kind of kicks a door in and he fires his machine gun into the air and all the rubble of the ceiling falls on him. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it, it's that kind of, that kind of humour to He's it. He's trying to, you know, make his presence known yeah. but you know threatening but then yeah just yeah but but yeah it's great it's great fun action adventure comedy and um yeah really worth worth watching if you've not seen it before if you have seen it before go back and watch, watch it, it again. again it's good fun yeah i'm i'm going to i'm going to err on the side of that i have seen it anyway well perhaps you should go back and watch it i know it. exactly yeah. um then it'll be cemented in my brain hopefully for the next time it comes around on the tv Okay, so um, Tuesday the 16th of November. Uh, this is, this is, I have definitely seen this one, Danny, several times. At 9pm, it's 1996, The Rock. Yes, so uh, not the same rock that we've mentioned earlier in the film guide this week. It's, this isn't the biopic of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but no, this is uh, different. This is Nicolas Cage. This is Sean Connery. This is a, a, a Michael Bay at the height of his power before he started making millions of Transformer films. Um but yeah, a renegade general and his crack team of mercenaries take over the abandoned fortress prison of Alcatraz and threaten San Francisco with a toxic nerve gas rocket to extort a massive ransom. Mm. To break their stranglehold on the city, the FBI sends in a chemical weapons expert and a jailed SAS veteran because he is the only man to have ever escaped from the infamous penitentiary. Action thriller with Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage and Ed Harris. And everything. If you like, if you don't like '90s action movies, then then forget this one. Skip yeah, skip right bother. over it. There's nothing in it that you'll enjoy. <laughs> if you like that sort of thing, you will blooming love this one. Yeah, it's got everything and a great performances. Nicholas Cage as the uh, reluctant hero. Mm. He's 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 more of a scientist than a, than somebody who's useful. You know, he's. Um, uh, okay <laughs> i'll give you time there to, to jump in on that that insult but no he's more he's more used to sort of being in a laboratory yeah. and playing with test tubes than actually being out in the field yes he's not he's not an action man no uh but he's there to lead this team that's got to get onto the the rock and uh defeat the uh the 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 renegade general played rather splendidly by ed harris who's very good in this and sean connery is this former 
British Secret Service agent, as it turns out, um, who who was the only person who ever escaped from Alcatraz. So they need him to get them to go back into Alcatraz. Yeah, so they've got to break into the prison yeah. instead of out. Yeah. But, you know, same principle, really, yeah. isn't it? And and so in they go. And and one of the things about this is, if if you're a fan of the Bond films, if you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what Sean Connery's Bond might have been up to by the 90s it'd kind of be this because <laughs> yeah, that's true because it, it, as it goes on it, it it's not a big spoiler to say that it's revealed that he's actually former british secret service yeah and so you're kind of thinking would his bond you know by the, the bond of his from from the 60s um you know what would he be doing by the 90s well maybe he'd be rotting in a jail somewhere because you know he finally annoyed the government and they thought right well we'll just put him in a prison and forget all about him yeah just let him just you know outside out of mind sort of thing yeah. oh until we need him for this really specialized mission <laughs> yeah and then they offer him a pardon if he helps or something like that yeah so uh yeah that's that the the the, the storyline it doesn't matter too much um it's it's not about that no. uh it's it's a rip-roaring uh, action adventure if ever there was one um and, and also there's some good um supporting uh, actors in it as well um you know we, we mentioned the main the main cast there but but in in alongside them uh john spencer who was wonderful in the west wing uh, as leo and i think uh, was one of the standout performers from from what was a wonderful ensemble cast and he'd done a whole body of work before the west wing and this was one of the things that he had done uh, in there uh, michael bean who was in uh, terminator and aliens mm-hmm. uh, he he's in this as well um, the, the, there's 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 a good good cast of people in here tony todd who played a candyman um, from 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 the horror movies, uh, she's in. He's in there as well. L- lots of interesting characters, um, but mainly it's just about the action, and it's very very well done. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the rock. Yeah, and yeah, I'm, I'm not like I don't mind watching an action movie, but I'd rather leave it than take it if it you know. But I would watch this again, and I've seen it several times. So we'll make your mind up then. You either don't like them or you do. Well. I don't know. <laughs> it's got to be decent, well, and this is decent. So I see what Chris means now. <laughs> All right, Wednesday, seventeenth of November, uh, at six fifty p.m. on Film Four, we have Star Trek: First Contact. Mm. Now I've recently rewatched this. Okay, and uh, I think this is possibly the finest of the Star Trek movies. That uh, is a that is a statement, Danny. Yeah, I certainly think it's probably the best of the next generation era of Star Trek movies. There, so people will probably know there were six ones with Kirk and Co. You know, the original the original actors playing those characters. Okay, and then after that, there were four that featured uh, Patrick Stewart and the Next Generation cast, and then J.J. Abrams more recently rebooted it and and made three more. So that's quite interesting then, because obviously those original cast that then went on to make movies from Star Trek and Star Trek Next Generation. And then he just took random people that had never been in a Star Trek series and put them into a film. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, interesting. I hadn't really thought of it like that before. That's well, so, so his, yes, yeah, so the J.J. J. Abrams one, which this isn't, but but mm. as you touched on it. We, um, so he, but he did it rather, rather respectfully and cleverly because he took Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock from the mm-hmm. original one, yeah. and he had him... Uh, set it in the, the the beginning of that movie was set in the next generation era of Star Trek, mm-hmm. and then through some timey wimey thing, of course. you know, he <laughs> then gets flung back to the um, time when, uh, in fact, when the characters from his era of Star Trek were born. Ah, uh, 
And so, but because he's gone back, that event has changed the timeline, which allows for what then they call it the Kelvin timeline. Okay. So J.J. Abrams' Star Trek is set in the Kelvin timeline, not in the Prime timeline. Right. Okay. Uh, but it's linked by Leonard Nimoy Spock going mm-hmm. back. Um, so that that's where, but, but this is set in the prime timeline star mm-hmm. trek first contact this is the second big screen adventure of uh, jean-luc picard and the and his enterprise crew this is the first movie they did on their own because the previous one had william shatner in it ah. and there was a bit of element of like baton handing over i was gonna say yeah sort of take the take it and go mm. <laughs> yeah sure but this movie very much is um it, it's part alien and it's part star trek and it's part die hard on the enterprise <laughs> Because the alien element was mm. courtesy of H.R. Geiger, ah. who was the conceptual artist who designed the original alien creature that you, you've got adorned on your Indeed. on your hoodie as we speak. I do, actually, yes. You should hold that near the mic yeah, so the listener can hear can, it. Can you see that? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, 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 he, he designed the original alien creature in, in Ridley Scott's uh, eponymous movie. And then um, uh, the, the villain of this Star Trek movie is the Borg, who had already been seen on Star Trek because they had been the villain in some of the episodes, mm-hmm. but he was tasked with making them scarier. And so, and in fact, if you look at his Borg, you can, they definitely resemble the TV Borg. It is an evolution. It's not a, he didn't start over from scratch at all. And he only made subtle changes, but he did enough to make them really scary. Well, resistance is futile, I believe. Yes. So. And, and also the, um, the way that the, the, the movie uh, depicted them and this is down to the excellent directing by Jonathan Frakes who plays Riker in the in the TV series and in the other movies yeah, he, he does a lot of directing now doesn't he? he yeah and and this was this was his first big big this was his first movie I believe as a director and he did it did a wonderful job with it not least because he borrowed something from Hitchcock in that uh, well, I don't know if this is quite Hitchcock in uh, Spielberg sort of did it as well with Jaws where you didn't see the the actual monster for quite some mm. time and you saw a lot of point of view shots yeah and he does this with the borg that Uh you don't really see the borg to at least a third of the way into the movie and yet you see point of view shots or you see shadows or you see suddenly just somebody being pulled away and screaming hideously but you Mm. don't actually see them and it's it's rather cleverly done yeah they do that a lot in uh, alien as well don't they but yes it's more i think hitchcock was it suspense not surprise yeah right something so it's like yeah you want to if you're going to build su- su- suspense is better than surprise because once you've seen the monster all the suspense is destroyed right yeah. so yeah and i think that happens a lot in horror movies where they just show you the monster mm. you know 20 minutes in and then it's like people just running down corridors mm. away from that same monster and you're like okay well that's rubbish so and and the diehard reference i made earlier mm, is because literally the final part of the movie has patrick stewart running around in a sweaty vest <laughs> Like you know, with with with, with guns and, and being being all action hero, sure. yeah, it is, it is literally <laughs> that at the end. So it it combines those things rather well, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, but excellent directing from Jonathan Frakes because and, and I draw that out because the story is complicated. Sure. Yet I don't believe as the audience 
you're ever confused by it. I think that, and I think that's the skill of a director to be say, able yeah. to lead you through it in such a way. So the, the storyline is this. Captain Jean-Luc Picard and the crew of the Enterprise face their deadliest enemies, the Borg, who travel back in time in an attempt to change Earth's history. The starship follows on a mission to foil their plan, but the vessel is taken over by members of the Cyborg Collective, leaving Picard consumed by a desire for revenge. Mm-mm. I so, mean, I wouldn't want to get on his wrong side. So the Borg attack in, in what is their modern day, in the 24th century, they destroy the Borg, mm-hmm. but an escape module leaves the ship and suddenly opens up a conduit and goes back in time. And they can see that suddenly the Earth has been destroyed in, before their eyes, but the conduit's still open. Mm. And if they follow them through they might be able to do something. And, and they follow them through. They realise they've gone back a couple of hundred years, yeah. back into the mid-21st century. So only about 40 okay. years from where we are. Uh, which, which is the eve of... <laughs> when the of, Earth was destroyed. Well, it was the eve of first contact, which, which in right. Star Trek is the, the, the day when aliens first made contact with Earth. And, uh, and so they realise that the Borg are trying to stop first contact because if they stop it, then Earth will never advance and then it will be easier to take them over. Mm-hmm. We, so they then have to help. And, and first contact happened because um, a, a scientist, a Zephyrin Cochran, who is played by James Cromwell, who's excellent in this movie, he has invented um, warp travel and he's built a rocket and he's taken it out on his test flight and he manages to get to warp speed and the aliens going by spot that... Um, that the, the Earth has got warp capability, and that's what initiates first contact. Okay, so we, you know, we're advanced enough to be able to handle the fact that aliens exist, sort of thing. And yeah, like they yeah. can start interacting. So with they us. wouldn't bother. Co- they knew about us. They never bothered yeah. contacting us because we weren't advanced enough as sure. a species. But that proved that we had warp, warp capability, meant that we were advanced, and so they they did. And and the action on Earth with James Cromwell is is quite amusing, and it's something of a nice distraction from how incredibly tense it is on the scenes on the Enterprise, where it's been taken over by the Borg and mm-hmm. Picard and crew are trying to fight back. Um, so it's it's a good way that it's done. And Alice Krieg also should be mentioned because she plays the Borg Queen and she is chilling in this part um, and 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 exudes this chilling sexiness. Mm-hmm. There is something about her that it, she looks repulsive and there's something alluring at the same time. <laughs> it is very well done. Um, and she, she really does play this sort of seductive, evil creature. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, it's a great. And, and, and the other cast from the Star Trek, they all know what they're doing. They're all very strong and dependable and, and do, doing their thing. Um, so, yeah, it, if you're not a big Star Trek fan, you might enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But if you do like Star Trek at all, you'll blooming love it. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming most people would have seen it if that's the case. But like you say, it's fun to rewatch these things every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, excellent. And finally, on Thursday the 18th of November, you have picked Magnum Force, and this is on Channel 5 at 11.05pm. Yeah, so this is the second Dirty Harry movie. And um, I was thinking about this the other day, that that Dirty Harry is an iconic character from cinema. And Clint Eastwood, um, you know, we start with Clint Eastwood and we finish. I I, I only just realised how (laughs) Clint Eastwood's book ended this. But but people rave about how much of a classic movie Dirty Harry is, the first Dirty Harry film. But all that guaranteed was a second movie. Yes. And for a series to, to run and indeed for it to endure, the second movie's got to be pretty good. Because otherwise it won't get a third or a fourth and then a fifth. 
you know, as in this case, in these day and age, it, what, what, it's <laughs> you got can to, run a franchise forever, apparently. Yeah, but it's got to work, and yeah. and it won't. And, and if it doesn't make enough money, they won't continue to invest in it, thinking, oh yeah, but the third one might do better. Yes. You know, it's not often that they see a potential and would would continue to support something if it didn't do well. And and I think that Magnum Force is an overlooked classic movie from the early seventies. It 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 follows hot on the heels of Dirty Harry. It was I think it was just a year or two after the the, the original one. And in, in the story, Maverick Cop, Dirty Harry Callahan, antagonises his superiors once more in his pursuit of, the, in this instance, a vigilante group responsible for murdering the city's most wanted criminals. So this, this mystery group was going around killing all the bad guys. And there was in the movie, it really explores vigilantism and, mm. and is it a good thing or not? And, and in the movie, at one point, Dirty Harry himself is 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 kind of a cast of suspicion is thrown in his direction, saying, "Well, you know, actually, you know, you probably don't think they're doing a bad thing, do you? Because they're going, you know, they're killing drug dealers, they're killing like crime bosses. They're taking sort of, yeah, the, the work that you would have had to do to put them away. Mm. That's just taken away, isn't it? It's like makes it easier for everyone, sort yeah. of thing. Now, um, the, the the description here carries on to say, however, he is unaware that the killers are in fact some of his fellow officers." And are prepared mm-hmm. to see him dead to keep their secret safe. Action thriller sequel starring Clint Eastwood, Hal Holbrook, Mitchell Ryan, uh, Robert Urich, and a very young David Soul, who to listeners, they may know him from Starsky and Hutch. He was Hutch. Oh, okay. And this was just before that. Um, and and yeah, it's, it's there's no mystery to this at all. You, you know very early on who's doing it. You, you don't actually see who's doing it. They, they, you know it's a cop. Mm-hmm. You see a cop, you don't see the cop's face. And then suddenly uh, Dirty Harry comes across a, a, a group of um, cycle cops mm-hmm. who, who are very good at shooting. And, and, and he starts to realise that, um, that, you know, maybe the not, all, not as all as it seems. Um, but then there's also an older cycle cop who's not part of that gang who is also in the mix somewhere. And he's trying to work out who's involved Okay. You know, um, but but it's not much of a mystery. You, as, as the viewer, you very early on think, well, it's obviously them. Yeah, you're more along for the ride sort of thing. Yeah, kind yeah. of. And and yeah, and and it's 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 Clint Eastwood once again doing what he did so well in the first movie. Sure. Um, and then this this in turn uh, spawned another sequel not long afterwards. Um, yeah. So the the um, you know the, the, the Dirty Harry films were, were very strong movies, and this one I think often gets forgotten about because it was not as prominent as the original movie but but a very worthy sequel indeed that's magnum force yeah i mean the the first one was 1971 um so yeah just like you say a couple of years beforehand yeah so. and i think the third one i think possibly was 1975 76 76 the Enforcer, okay. yes yeah so a so, little bit further on and then there was a couple of others after that so it's like well yeah. they came back in the 80s mm, because right. basically i think there was a poll in the early 80s which said something about like cinema's biggest cops or best characters what have you and dirty harry topped the pole and warner brothers thought to themselves oh hang on a minute we own that yeah maybe we'll bring him <laughs> back because clint eastwood had gone on to become quite the legend at that point mm-hmm. and it was many years since he'd played dirty harry but they thought well he's still young enough to play a cop just about yeah so they they brought it back and that the movie they made in the early 80s sudden impact was was one of the biggest films of the year. Mm. It was a huge hit for for um, Warner Brothers and uh, and for Clint Eastwood, which then spawned another sequel, which was the final one they did called The Deadpool. Indeed. Which had in it a very young Liam Neeson. Ryan Reynolds. 
<laughs> a different Deadpool. This is the Deadpool. It is. Uh, but but you had in it, um, yeah, Liam Neeson and a, 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 quite an early role for him, and a very young Jim Carrey. Oh, okay. Who's so, in there as well? Um, but but there you go. All started from these early seventies movies, and yeah, Magnum Force. More of the same. If you love Dirty Harry, this film is for you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Danny, for all of your picks of movies on free-to-air TV, your insights into the uh, movie releases and streaming services this week. And next next week, you'll be back, uh, but you'll be hosting uh, with Tim, won't you? Yes. Do you you want to know my film of the week? You're not bothered. Oh, yeah, Chris and I don't normally bother with that. So, yeah, please, tell me your film of the week. (laughs) I don't know if I can be bothered now. Of course you can, go for it. If you could only watch one of those movies this week, Mm -hmm. Sam, and you... Oh dear, I've changed my mind twice in this. Dangerous Minds. I think if Uh, if you could only watch one this week, I'm not necessarily saying that's the best movie of the week, but but I would definitely go with Dangerous Minds. It is a wonderful film, and I I, I think it's worth, worth looking out for. So Dangerous Minds will be my pick of the week. Excellent, yeah. I think it would be really interesting to see Michelle Pfeiffer in that role. So, uh, yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's one that quite possibly... Other, other movies I've mentioned, the chances are people might have seen or they're, they're, they're quite familiar films or they come around quite frequently. Yes. Dangerous Minds might be on TV quite often, I don't know, but um, it's certainly it's one that people may not necessarily be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, excellent. Well, thank you for the for your pick of the week as well and see you again soon.